the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axel Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, with me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, and you can't see it, but Cat's Cat is with us too. Yes, as always, my lovely co-host, Hamish, who uh, insists on purring into the microphone, and I will try and keep him away. <laughs> but we got a lot to cover this week. Uh, Gamescom is happening right now. Uh, various RPG bits of RPG news have been coming out, but we're going to talk about all the Final Fantasy 15 news. And God, there's been a lot of it for some reason. They just keep on rolling, and there is some weird stuff happening with that game. I got to tell you, Nadia. Yeah, one thing we only just caught up on, like, and we were just like at the same time, like, what the hell? But we'll get into that. Yes, there were there was a succession of WTF mates on Twitter. <laughs> there really was, uh, but uh, I have to say, I think it's really cute. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to discuss this. Um, yeah. We're also going to be talking about our... We're going to be doing our fall RPG countdown, where we look at the biggest RPGs coming out this fall and pick the ones that we are the most excited about and finally, we read your RB best RPG teams and uh, discuss them a little bit. Um, so let's get started, Nadia. First piece of RPG news, Final Fantasy XV confirmed for PC in 2018. You wrote <laughs> an, an article about the mods that absolutely need to happen. Nadia, what are the mods that absolutely need to happen? I would love to see like some really tricked out mods with the chocobos for starters. Just like you can change your color currently, the chocobos color in, in Final Fantasy Fifteen, and that's a good start. But I really think we could have a lot of fun with chocobos. Like, could you imagine if there was a mod for a black chocobo that could fly? Like, yes, that would be board? pretty rad, and that would be amazing. Can you imagine how much it would totally break the game if you could actually fly in that game? Oh, it, it would destroy it. But still, <laughs> I really, I really want to have it. I actually uh, said that there should be a mod that lets you listen to your MP3 player while you're on your chocobo, and someone told me you can do that, like, already. But I looked it up, and it's like, you can do it with a with a break or a trick or a bug, something like that, but maybe it was patched in at some point. Um, someone's going to have to correct me on that one, or, or let me know one way no. or the other, because... Don't you, yeah. Can't you get a CD player? You can get, like, an MP3 player and be you playing it while you're running player. around. Yeah, when you're running around, but once you get on your chocobo, it, it plays the theme automatically mm. unless you mount the chocobo in a very, very specific way. And even then, it's like you're not supposed to do it because you can't change your song or anything like that. So I don't know. Like, I'm hearing different things on this one. But uh, either way, if there's not a way to listen to your MP3 player on your chocobo, there should be. Because I love the chocobo theme, don't get me wrong, but holy crap, how much can you take? <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind, uh, I wouldn't mind uh, some total conversion mods like uh, the skyrim survival packs and that kind of thing uh, that would be pretty interesting if they if people could find a way to add to the gameplay i wouldn't mind them rebalancing the gameplay to make it harder for example mm -hmm. finding a way to make it so that if you die you're dead <laughs> yeah the, the final fantasy uh 15 is kind of forgiving with death isn't it yes it is i, I think the thing that's going to be kind of interesting about final fantasy 15 by the way is i 
I don't know how much they can improve upon it graphically with a PC version. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it'll be marginally prettier, but it's already actually quite pretty on console because it's available in 4K and HDR and everything. Maybe the textures will be a bit better. I think their main thing is avoiding bugs. Um, and yes. I wouldn't necessarily count on them being able to do that. Uh, so getting back to the subject of mods, like being able to... Um, be able to mod in characters from previous Final Fantasy games would be kind of oh, fun. Yes, yes. and uh, that's one thing I touched upon, not in that direct way, but like saying, uh, why don't we have costumes? Like, I'd love to have like a uh, a Sabin costume for Gladi. Mm. <laughs> Just make him a monk, let him suplex a train or two. So I mean, basically, costume packs for all of the boys. Yeah, I mean, if you if you can't put in the actual characters in the game, which uh, I'm sure someone will find a way to, to do it. I'm, I think this will be a game that people are going to have a lot of fun modding because, let's face it, up till now, modding and Final Fantasy are two things that do not go together very often. That's not necessarily true. The Final Fantasy VII on PC has been modded oh. to heck and back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally forgot about that. In fact, that was one of the first mods I ever downloaded when I played Final Fantasy VII on PC. It had that horrible soundtrack. I don't know what went on there. Someone informed me, but I forget what the story was. But I basically went straight to wherever, and I downloaded the original Final Fantasy VII soundtrack, and I put it on the PC version of the game. And I'm like, ah, that's so much better. Another piece of news, Final Fantasy XV potentially, uh, potentially teased for the Nintendo Switch, which is interesting. Very interesting. I'm very curious to see how they'll do that, because we were just talking about how it's a pretty game, and going by the download size on uh, both the, the, the consoles and PC, it's a pretty sizable game. It's a pretty resource-heavy game, so um, best of luck. Wasn't... Isn't the PC version like a hundred, like two hundred gigs or something that like that? It's something close to two hundred gigs. Although there might have been a correction on that, uh, but I don't know what it is beyond like I think Mike corrected the story saying, "Oh, it's not actually one hundred seventy gigs." Well, how big is it? I don't know. <laughs> so I don't think there's any confirmation yet, one way or the other. So it's quite a large game. It's going it to be quite a large game, game regardless. And I have to believe that there will be some serious technical drawbacks to playing Final Fantasy XV on the Switch, though it would be kind of fun to, I suppose, have it be portable. <laughs> but Yeah, um, I, I expect some degree of compromise with certain Twitch games, but there does come a point where I'm like, okay, I can play this already on on PS3, uh, sorry, PS4 and Xbox One and, and PC. I'm okay with it not sacrificing a ton of resources to you know, not be on the Switch. That's just me, though. Well, I, I think the main benefit is, A, either maybe you didn't, maybe you haven't played it yet, Good and point, yeah. you want to kind of pick it up, and B, being able to play it portably. Like, that That's is true. the, that is the main benefit, always, and, for playing And I Switch. guess if Skyrim Remastered is coming to Switch without a problem, then... It's not Skyrim we'll be... Remastered. It's is Skyrim. It remastered? Based on what I've seen... Uh, it is definitely not the remastered version. It because is. I, I remember looking at the screenshots and saying, "Okay, that's re that's remastered because it has that weird sunset, the perpetual sunset that's always going on." It is not the Skyrim remastered that we know. It is. Mm. It is Skyrim, as made for the Switch in some way, optimized for the Switch. And okay, I, that's fair. I fully expect it to look a lot worse than it currently <laughs> looks. <laughs> It's a, That would be interesting, because I'm not saying Skyrim is an ugly game by any means, but there's times when you look at the graphics as it is, and you say, hmm, that's being held together by toilet paper and chewing gum. Toilet paper, eh? Yeah. That's pretty flimsy. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't use toilet paper to hold things together, Nadia. 
<laughs> well, and chewing gum. There's chewing gum in there too. <laughs> I I have no expectations actually for Skyrim on the Switch, and I think it's really telling that they have shown hardly any of it. They mm-hmm. briefly showed that you could have Link in Skyrim, but it's obviously a very ugly modded Link. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that they pushed it, like they made it a, a key point in the Switch's debut just to let people know that, you know, hey, we have third parties behind us, but now that the Switch is doing so well by Nintendo's games alone and everyone kind of wants to make games for it, they can kind of put Skyrim on the shelf and say, okay, well, this will come out soon, eventually. I'm not looking forward to the flood of really crappy third party ports that are inevitably going to come out for this thing. Mm-hmm. I would rather people make games specifically for the Switch that are good, but I agree. Actually, people forget this, but when we were going back and doing our Sonic rankings, I was reminded that there are actually a lot of games made specifically for the Switch or for the Wii. Yes. Yes, like uh, Sonic and the Secret <laughs> Rings and uh Sonic Black Colors. Rings. Oh, that's right. And that was actually a good game. That was one of the better uh, Sonic games. Yes. So certain games were coming out specifically for the Wii, and uh, often they were the second team, as it were. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. they often, a lot of games actually turned out to be pretty decent for the Wii, and I would hope that that would be kind of the case with the Switch, where they take advantage of the system's strengths. The disparity between... The Switch and, say, the PS4 is not nearly as big as, say, the Wii and the Xbox 360. Yeah, absolutely not. So I, my hope is that you get a lot of really good bespoke content for the Switch next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I agree. Maybe, interestingly enough, FIFA may be a, a good example of that. Um, despite the fact that it loses some features, they are heavily modifying the kind of original FIFA engine for the mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch, and I, I apologize for boring our RPG audience with this information, but I, I I find it interesting the ways in which they're making it work. But mm-hmm. this is all to say that Final Fantasy 15 on the Switch, barring heavy, heavy modifications, I just, I'm not necessarily seeing it, so. Yeah, if they do a lot of work, as you say, to optimize it for the Switch, it could work. It could be a lot of fun, but uh, you really got to put that effort in there. So we'll see one way or the other if it even happens. Indeed. I will say uh, that, speaking of the Switch, Nadia, I'm almost done with Breath of the Wild. Oh, really? Congratulations. Yes, I only, I have two more Divine Beasts, but Mm -hmm. I'm far enough along now that I could get the once I beat the next Divine Beast, I can go get the Master Sword. Nice. And uh, then... It still, it still took me a while to finish the game after I got the Master Sword. Well, I mean, I really, at this point, just have to kind of beat the next two Divine Beasts, and then I could probably head for the end game because I've right. done quite a bit in that game. <laughs> I've, been, I've been really just holding off on the Divine Beasts for the most part. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I waited to the last minute, basically. I was weighing whether I would go out of my way to farm everything I need for the the ancient armor, mm-hmm. but I I think that I'm just going to stick with the soldier set, and because I like it the best, or like I like the look of it the best, and yeah, uh, uh, invest in upgrading it at the various fairy fountains, get the master sword. I already have the Hylian shield, maybe explore a little more in the castle, but for the most part. I feel pretty happy about everything that I've managed to do in that game. I've gotten everything I've wanted out of Breath of the Wild. And I yeah. really want to move on to Persona 5 when, while I have a chance. Yeah, please do. So we can talk about that a little bit. Yes. 
Well, we've managed to talk about it a bit. Yeah, true. But we haven't done like anything nearly as thorough as the Persona 4 reports. No, but I, I think that we, after this year, we need to take a break from Persona for a bit because people, <laughs> because I think people might be a little sick of all the Persona talk. Uh, I, I think that we should be focusing on other RPGs that exist. <laughs> I guess. Especially, uh, especially maybe not just JRPGs, but there is such a, a wide and amazing range of RPGs to play. And I mm-hmm. think that we should tackle them all. And I'm going to give you more homework, Nadia. You are going to have more homework. Get oh ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, last piece of information about Final Fantasy 15, and this is by far the weirdest, is there's going to be DLC for Final Fantasy 15 that is Assassin's Creed themed. It's called yes. the Assassin's Festival. And the four characters can dress up as assassins and kind of play in this heavily modified version of Assassin's Creed where they're actually climbing up Uh, walls and everything and attacking enemies and it is just what are they even smoking nadia (laughs) what are they doing i don't understand this this is quite possibly the stupidest thing i have ever seen i'm sorry i get it it's a video game they can do anything they want whatever but why well, it's an interesting way to, to advertise both games, frankly, uh, Assassin's Creed, uh, the new one. No, out but Assassin's and, uh, Creed and Final Fantasy Fifteen fans, maybe there's some overlap there, but I'm not, not a ton, yeah. okay? Well, one thing we're probably going to talk about later is how uh, the new Assassin's Creed is, suppo- is supposedly more RPG-ish. And if that's what they're pushing, I can see why they would kind of want to do a promotion with, with uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen. It's still weird. But it's, okay, the, the boys look so cute in their little Assassin's Creed outfits. Come on. They look like little assassins. They're so adorable. It's and can pure. we talk about how funny it is that they went from, like, the happy, you know, Moogle Chocobo Festival to the, hey, let's kill things festival? That's great. It's, it's pure marketing driven. Okay. And I so this is what I'll say about this. I'm like, first of all, I don't know who's going to get it outside of pure novelty. It mm-hmm. doesn't fit into the game at all. And at a certain point, you dilute what you're supposed to be the core identity of your game to the point where it just loses all meaning. Why yeah, not put this- them into Fallout at this point? Why I not put that. them into anything? Like, <laughs> what does it matter? What are game. they? What is this game? <laughs> well, at least they're trying to do to make it like part of a festival. It's not like the time Lightning was promoting Louis Vuitton. Like, oh. that's kind of crazy. I would om- I almost prepare prefer Louis Vuitton <laughs> to uh, the Assassins Festival. But there was like a, a shot in the in the trailer where like I think like uh, Noct was dressed as uh, Ezio or one of his kin and like was riding a black choco. And I'm like, oh come on, that's great. That's like the best stupidest thing I've seen all day. When I see the I have seen the Final Fantasy 13 Louis Vuitton advertisements around San Francisco. <laughs> That's great. I have. And you know what? It's weird. And to be honest, I don't understand how this would appeal to people who buy Louis Vuitton stuff. Because Lightning is an anime character from a video game. And while she's stylish and fancy, I think that as somebody, if somebody were to be like, I I do not play video games. Who is this strange anime lady who is selling me bags? It's weird, but it it sort of is an interesting concept, I guess. But why are you shoehorning Assassin's Creed into Final Fantasy 15? I just, 
I don't understand. I actually think it's a terrible idea. I think it, it's adorable. It, it just goes to show that they have no idea or they do not care what Final Fantasy 15 actually is. Like it tells a story. Sure. Fine. Whatever. But beyond that, the deals, the DLC gets weird. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't mind the, not Ignis, not Noctis, not Gladio, Compton. but the other one. Prompto. <laughs> Prompto became Metal Gear Solid. Oh, yeah. With the gunplay and everything. They just keep shoehorning. There's this multiplayer thing that we played. Mm-hmm. They just keep shoehorning this stuff into this ill-advised attempt to turn it into a platform. It's not going to happen, guys. <laughs> okay? Yeah, it probably is It's not going to happen. But it's kind of fun to watch them try. Like, how crazy can we get with this? Hey, how do you feel about Assassin's Creed and Final Fantasy? Okay, sign me up. I'll give them this. They have kept Final Fantasy fifteen in the headlines, for better or worse, over the past year. But at what point are you doing more harm than good? I mean, to the entire pl- property. Because the best properties are heavily, heavily curated and have a really strong sense of identity. And it's something special when they do something. All this is saying that Square Enix is willing to essentially whore out the name of Final Fantasy for anything. Oh, God, we knew that ages ago, though, didn't we? Like, it just sam- seemed like once Square Enix, like, you know, joined together. Uh, this is a new low, though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, know, they had doesn't... potion drinks. Horrible, horrible potion drinks when Final Fantasy XII came out. And they've oh, had wrong. weird crossover things in the past. And like we said, we had the Viet- Louis Vuitton bags. <laughs> But I, I just don't I, see this as being any better or worse than, than anything else. I think it's kind of cute. No. No. <laughs> it, it completely violates the universe. It does. <laughs> well, that we, we're in, we live in an age where Mario drove a Mercedes in Mario Kart. So but that's nothing Mario. surprises me anymore. But this is Mario. This, Mario and Final Fantasy are not the same. Okay. Maybe they should, maybe they should have a crossover. Mario. Kind of have in some I wouldn't Mario. be surprised at this point. I mean, Final yeah. Fantasy VII has been in Smash Brothers, so, I mean... That blew my mind. I still watch that trailer, and it still blows my mind. Look, I'm sure people will go, oh, Kat, you take Final Fantasy way too seriously. <laughs> and maybe I do. Maybe there is no quote-unquote sanctity. But I'm not They're talking about, oh, Final Fantasy is special or whatever. I'm saying that it's stupid because they are diluting the property. They're diluting its identity. Final mm-hmm. Fantasy doesn't mean anything anymore except as a chance to market vaguely fantasy anime characters in various different ways. It used to mean something. It used to have a very strong identity, and now it doesn't. God, that was ages ago. Many, many moons ago. Sakaguchi <laughs> left, <laughs> and that was that. I, I think Tabata actually did a fine job of mm-hmm. rescuing a project that was going absolutely nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of find it annoying that they are desperately trying to turn it into this thing. It's so weird, though, because, like, uh, you, we talk about how they're devaluing Final Fantasy XV, and you're absolutely right. But then you look at Final Fantasy XIV a step backwards, and it's just, like, how, how well they treat that product and how respectful they treat that product. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's in their minds sometimes. It just, that's what happens when you have a very large company that has a bunch of different fiefdoms. Final Fantasy XIV is run... It's over here. It's being run by somebody else. They have a very clear vision for what they want it to be. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They are very respectful to Final Fantasy. And they are, they 
are really respectful to the fans. And then you have Final Fantasy 15 over here and they're like, yeah, whatever, we'll do whatever. Who cares? Woo! <laughs> Assassin's Creed, yeah. Party time. I don't care. <laughs> Everyone get drunk. I, like, have you ever heard of the Tyson Zone? No. Okay, the Tyson Zone, as defined, is if you saw a headline about Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. it could be literally anything Right. And you would believe it. Okay, you could yeah. say, Ty- Mike Tyson is guilty of cannibalism. You'd be like, wow, crazy. Mike Tyson is cra- guilty of cannibalism. Okay, well, I guess I can see it. I mean, you could believe anything about Ty- Mike Tyson. Same with Donald Trump, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. He is so firmly in the Tyson zone. It's not even funny. Final right. Fantasy fifteen very much in danger of being in the Tyson zone. Yeah, and uh, actually come to think of it, a more modern kind of take on the Tyson zone would be drill tweets. Like, is this a tweet by Drill, or is this a real thing? Or not the onion? Yeah, exactly. Like, we're really in a point in time where, like, is this the onion or not? <laughs> Assassin's <laughs> so Creed coming from. Assassin's Creed cross Final Fantasy fifteen is firmly in not the onion territory. Yes, yes, you're right. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, even crazier crossovers. You could name any crossover at this point, and I would totally believe it, that they would just put a set Final Fantasy 15 into that for an extra buck. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I won't deny that. But it, it just, it is kind of weird. I mean, I think it looks fun. I might even give it a try. But uh, I think it's time to let Final Fantasy 15 have a nap and kind of move on with the the franchise. Let's start 16. I mean, I know Final Fantasy 15 was troubled. I understand you have to make up that money. But... It's time to let the boys have a rest. They deserve it. Okay, Nadia, it's almost fall, which is terrifying. We are recording this on August 24th. Uh, I believe next week is September. And pretty soon, all the big games like Destiny 2 will start coming out. I was putting together the the coverage strategy for September and October, and I was honestly a little terrified by all of the games that are coming out, big and small. Yeah, it's not a a small release uh, 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 schedule coming up, I'm sure. Quite a few games have actually been pushed into 2018, and Nino Kuni 2 among them. But uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Nino Kuni 2 are a couple of big ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Far Cry 5 was always in 2018. There was another game that got pushed into 2018 just recently that I was, uh, I, I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, this is a big loss, but it kind of threw it on the pile. This happens yeah. every year, by the way. Yeah. Every year, something gets pushed into the spring and you go, okay, well, well moving on. But See you in the spring. See you when it's yes. warm. I, I mean, I'm fine with that, by the way, yeah. because I have plenty. I have plenty of games to play, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to play all seven of these to completion. Because frankly, uh, just a couple of these games would be enough to keep up to take up all of my time going into the winter or into the winter and to next year. But in any case, uh, first, what we're going to do is we're going to count down these RPGs uh, from the. I'm not saying they're bad, but maybe the one that's like kind of the one we're kind of least excited for, not in a, not in a, we're not excited for this, but we are not as excited for it as the rest of the games, right? And then up to most excited. And then we will pick the ones that we are 
individually the most excited for okay yeah so first thing uh the the wannabe rpgs the rpgs <laughs> that they're not rpgs they are pretty much just action games or shooters or whatever but they incorporate heavy rpg elements i suppose um destiny 2 we're yeah. not gonna we're not gonna include destiny 2 in this list sorry destiny sorry. 2 you're a co-op shooter with heavy rpg elements bolted on top of it but its essence is not what i would necessarily call an rpg it's inspired by ammo yes. it it is an interesting uh mixture of co-op elements and mmorpg elements and we'll be talking about it on the flagship podcast the u.s gamer podcast mm, but i think that we're going to kind of avoid it here because our listeners get really annoyed when we talk about destiny 2 <laughs> they do it's a, it's a very divisive game i mean it's not divisive it's uber popular in real life but we live in our little I mean, bubble yeah on this on this podcast is what i mean this is not real life nadia this is fantasy Oh, thank God. Can I fly? fly <laughs> I have my balcony right there. We are, in fact, back. there is, in fact, no escape from reality. But in oh, any case, there. yes, there you go. <laughs> you figured it out. Another one, Middle-Earth Shadow of War. It's uh, kind of an open-world-ish action game. Here's the, here's the interesting thing, okay? They've introduced loot. Oh, right. Loot yes. in Middle-Earth. Yes, loot so there, Middle -Earth. there are, like, tons of loot drops and everything, that's their big addition to uh, make it more RPG-ish, which, uh, good on them. Uh, everybody likes loot. Oh, boy. And finally, Assassin's Creed Origins, which might actually be the closest we get to a quote-unquote RPG. Like, if we... That is the one I think we're going to be the most likely to talk about. Mm -hmm, I think so. Um, I've been I've become more curious about it as the days have gone on, and I think you have as well. So, yeah, this is the most curious I have been about an Assassin's Creed in quite a long time. Mm -hmm. That said, it's still Assassin's Creed, and I've been burned one too many times before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did like what was the last one that came out? Uh, the one with the brother and the sister. The one with the brother and the sister. The one that just came out. I was writing, I helped write a guide for it back. In Are you talking about Syndicate? Days. Because that came out Syndicate. two years ago. Yes, it was Syndicate. That's right. Uh, I liked the characters in that one. Like I, I thought they were a lot of fun, but the gameplay was all the same. Like you know, go here, beat up this. Okay, you're done. So I yeah. understand why I didn't do so well. But you're in ancient Egypt riding a horse this time. You are in ancient Egypt riding. You are riding a horse, and that's always a big score for me. And you can train hippos to kill people. That's also what? a big score for me. Oh, that's yeah. rad. Okay, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, apparently you can train hippos and crocodiles and like other horrible things from the Nile. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm okay with that. I'm, it's easy to get me. All you just have to say is train killer hippos, and I'm all in. <laughs> You're very easy to please, Cat. Yeah, well, we might have Mike or somebody on once Assassin's Creed Origins actually comes out to talk about its relative benefits and whether it will actually appeal to real, honest-to-God RPG fans. But, yes. okay, let's do the countdown. Nadia, are we ready? We are ready. I am ready. Excellent. All right, number six. We have the Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions, which is a remake of Mario and Luigi's Superstar Saga from 2003 yes. wow. with a ton of new features and also a new storyline. And I'll, actually, Nadia, the new storyline is what has me the most interested. Yeah, you play too. as Bowser's minions. I yeah, think that that's really awesome. Cute. Yeah, 
that was a really cute idea. Um, I'll be honest with you, the first Mario and Luigi game, I am not a huge fan. Uh, I was uh, a big fan of the writing. Those games are always fantastically written. They're hilarious. They're fun. But the gameplay, I found the boss battles in particular dragged on way too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they do a little bit of gameplay balancing tweaking, that'll be great. And I'm definitely looking forward to... I always like the idea of playing as like mi- uh, Bowser's like minions because they're always a lot of fun in those games. They always have funny things to say. They always have funny things to do. I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to that one. I liked Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga better than the Paper Mario games because I feel like it is maybe a bit more faithful to... It's, it's a yeah. bit more RPG-ish, for one I thing. I agree, although I will say Thousand Year Door is just one of the most brilliant RPGs ever made. Yes, I totally agree. The Thousand Year Door is really good. But I, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of either like series, I suppose. Um, I don't go out of my way to play either of them. But I, I suppose that my attention was grabbed by the fact that they have this cool news story with Bowser's Minions. Yeah. So. Uh, I would recommend, uh, if you ever have a chance to play Bowser's Inside Story, that is probably one of the best ones alongside Thousand yes. Year Door. I had a great time with that game. Yeah, I agree. That is probably the best version of Mario Luigi that you're going to find, in my mm-hmm. opinion. There are a ton of new... They include a ton of changes. Um, lots of balance changes and things Good. like that. Um, just... The list of changes just goes on and on. Like, I can't even summarize them. Uh, there are various cameos uh, that will be added to the Mario Brothers house. Like, there's a trophy from Mario Kart 8 on a shelf and a Wii wheel hanging next to it, <laughs> which that. is That's interesting. Um, uh, Mario Tennis Racket and Golf Club can be seen on a shelf above and leaning on Mario's bed, respectively. A carpet in front of the brother's bed looking like a Yoshi egg has been added. Things like that. Many characters just... Sprites are apparently derived from the sprites of Mario and Luigi Dream Team and Paper Jam, causing their appearance to be different from res- with respect to one of the original games. Uh, Iggy Koopa has a different colored mohawk. Or it's a different Does mohawk. Really? He has a pineapple-like haircut instead of the colored mohawk. Oh, hmm. I guess he uh, decided to uh, grow up a little and kind of... Iggy's changed his look. A little more conservative now, I guess. Not Who's much. your favorite Koopaling? My favorite Koopaling, I think, is Larry. When I was a kid, I always liked Larry because I was like you know, small and young, and he was too. Oh, I've always liked, yeah, I I think I've always liked Iggy because Iggy is the crazy one. (laughs) Iggy is indeed the crazy one. I do love how they're all named after musicians too. At least uh, they were in America, and I guess they adapted that in in Japan eventually. Although I always thought Larry was named after the U2 uh, uh, band member, but uh, apparently he's not, so. I've also always liked Ludwig von Koopa because he has the weirdest hair and the most... (laughs) maybe memorable name i suppose out of all of them <laughs> he's definitely one of the more memorable ones he's like he's the big brother if i'm not mistaken yes i, I like that you know all of the lore by the way behind the the Koopalings. yeah i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a nerd <laughs> i i've always had the theory that bowser got engaged to somebody off screen and had the kids and then got divorced and yeah. remarried and ended up having uh bowser jr and yeah. so the Koopalings and Bowser Jr. don't have a great relationship because, you know, they're half-siblings. Yeah, that was actually, um, I, I never really, I know that Miyamoto confirmed that the, the Koopalings are like, their minions are not necessarily related, related to Bowser, although they're related to each other. Um, I always like kind of, I knew Nintendo would never do it, but in my head, like, I always thought like, you know, the Koopalings were the bastard kids and Koop, and uh, Junior uh, was the uh, the true heir. So mm. that's why they all hated each other. <laughs> 
Or did Peach actually have a tryst with Bowser and it was only pretending to be kidnapped all these years? I'll tell you something. When I saw that scene in Mario Sunshine, I was really disturbed by the way she did not deny anything. It's like Bowser Jr. is like, you're my mama. And she's not like, hey, hey, what are you talking about, kid? You crazy kid. And she's like, oh, um, hi. She was such an airhead. But by Mario Galaxy, she's dead. Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, that was, yes. um... That was a that was a weird fan theory going on there. Where it's not a fan theory; it's confirmed. Rosalina said she was dead. Was that was that was Rosalina her mother? Like Rosalina's her daughter. Oh God! Yeah, Mario's ageless. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I actually Mario really loved that storybook they had going on in, in Mario oh, Galaxy. Yeah, yeah no, I really liked it. Mario Galaxy was a great example of how you can incorporate light storytelling into Mario without be- it becoming completely un- overbearing like it did in Sonic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, cause that was like, it was totally your choice if you wanted to go, you know, see the story sessions and they were optional and they were really nice to sit through anyway because they weren't like long ass, you know, dialogue trees and branches and shit. So are you excited for Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions? I am. Um, I am definitely looking forward to it. And I... I- I even though I, I didn't like the original game as much, um, I, I am looking forward to giving it another try. Indeed. Okay, number five, and this might be a surprising one, given that it was our RPG of the year last year in 2016. Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. <laughs> yes. At number five, um, we don't. We still don't know that much about Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, except no, that now you can dress up the characters. This is a big change. In my opinion, you can change their appearances. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I am I think that's really cool. That was one of my favorite features from Pokemon X and Y. And the thing that annoyed the heck out of me was, I was like, so why can't you change your features in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire or Sun and Moon? And they were like, oh, well, you know, so the wearing different clothing is a trend in uh, the region for X and Y, K- the Kalos region. But it's not so popular elsewhere. I'm like, not getting dressed up in different clothes. Oh, okay, whatever. Everyone just wears a smock there. <laughs> so I, I think it's cool that they're bringing that feature back. And also, apparently, Rockruff will have a special evolution. Yeah, um, just going by what he looks like, he kind of almost looks like a combination of the day and nighttime evolutions, but mm. more closer to the day. They do this with the they do this with the third version of a lot of Pokemon. By the way, for example, mm. in Pokemon Platinum, they introduced the different versions of uh, the Electric Ghost. Um, so right. uh, you have the the washing machine. <laughs> and the lawnmower and the heater. Uh, I always preferred the lo- the washing machine, to be honest. And actually, the yeah, washing machine. Yeah, one of those, probably the washing machine, can really kick your ass. The washing machine has consistently been one of the strongest monsters. Yes. Since it was introduced. Yes. Not as strong as it used to be. Yeah, the washing machine in generation four was an electric ghost was a, which was a really great combination actually um that's interesting very hard to kill and it had yes. levitate so you couldn't use uh, earthquake to cake it out really your best hope was using rock slide uh later on it took on the the form or the the quality of its 
of its elementals. So you had Rotom Wash, for example, became a water electric, which made it slightly easier to kill, but only just. It's still, <laughs> it's still a giant pain. So yeah. yes, uh, they've also introduced other forms in later games, but yeah. So we'll see. Rock Rough. I don't. I admittedly have not been following the meta game for this generation very closely, but it doesn't, it seemed like no. Rock Ruff was always a little fragile. Uh, to yeah, be... Rock Ruff did not catch on as a, as a competitive Pokemon, as far as I know. Yeah, so we'll see if this new form ends up giving it a bit of a push, I suppose. And I think they really want to market it. Mm-hmm. I think they were yeah, hoping to market cute. it. It is cute. I think they were trying to market it as like cute little puppy that becomes a really cool like wolf thing. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to have really caught on as a particularly popular monster, so. No, Mimikyu has, however. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah, Mimikyu's the best. He's so cute. And Mimikyu's really strong in the competitive game, too. Like, I yeah, did... Yeah, I, I use Mimikyu a lot. I actually went out of my way to make uh, to make a Mimikyu when I, the, when I was dabbling in the competitive uh, Sun and Moon game. And Mimikyu, the best thing about Mimikyu is that if it gets hit it'll kind of like go back you get a free yeah. hit that that's hit. huge that that is really massive and it has really good stats too mm-hmm. and he's cute and he is cute but as far as i can tell pokemon ultra sun and ultra moon will be basically the same story but kind of like emerald in that it will have a side story yeah. about the third or it'll have a slightly different story about the third uh, legendary monster that you don't see as much in Sun and Moon. And so they'll have lots of little extra things. They'll have move tutors. They'll have some extra features, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's hard to get excited about a third version of Ultra- of Sun and Moon just a year after the originals came out. Yeah, I will definitely play it. And my cat is going freaking nuts right now. I will definitely play it. Um, but uh, I, I'm not as like, thrilled about it as the other games on the list and um i know i'll enjoy it but uh probably won't hit me the way that sun and moon did on that initial like that real like introduction to alola and just how novel it was and how cool it was i am hoping for more team skull though that was the thing was that sun and moon came out last year and there had been no pokemon the previous year yeah yeah we were pokestarved so pokemon much like assassin's creed actually as a result, felt a lot fresher. Mm-hmm. And it helped that it looked so much better than yes. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. And it, it was a clear step up in terms of graphics. They added a lot of really cool new features. I really liked what they did with the the HM monsters. It actually had a pretty solid story, all things considered. Yeah, I followed it to the end. I was really, I was entertained. Pretty decent array of new monsters and that kind of thing. I really great environment, just a yeah. great region. Yeah. Alola is one of my favorite regions for sure, mm-hmm. and it was great all just all the way around. And now it's kind of back to your old tricks where you're going, okay, here's more Pokemon. <laughs> well, I guess I can see why they're doing it because they are doing, of course, a new Pokemon for the Switch, so they really got to fire all cylinders Kill there. Time. So kind of a stopgap for now. I don't know, maybe wait a year until 2018, because I don't think Switch, Pokemon Sun and Moon on Switch is coming out until 2019. And when I say Sun and Moon, I mean their new one, the next generation. Yeah, yeah. 
Probably not, but you know, you got to get some 2DS sales, <laughs> get going for the holidays. This so. is that's just what it is. It's promoting yeah. the 2DS is what it full stop. So I don't know. I will play Sun, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, but interestingly enough, despite the fact that I really enjoyed the previous generation, I've just not been that engaged with this generation of Pokemon. I, I've I've always been threatening to be <laughs> to finally kind of retire from Pokemon, and I think it's finally happened. <laughs> there's no way you're retiring for pokemon i i guess but i've played i have played sun and moon's metagame easily the least out of all of the out of all the generations since gen 2 this is the only generation where i have not gone out of my way to train a monster and it's just it's too much of a time sink is the problem yeah. that's understandable but that's not the same thing as like saying oh i'm done with pokemon i'm not playing any of the games anymore Oh, uh, yeah, but to me, retiring from Pokemon is retiring from competitive Pokemon, not paying attention to it in any meaningful way, not trying to really delve in and play it to completion, if you you understand what I mean. Yeah, I I suppose if I play competitive Pokemon, I'll go on Pokemon Showdown or something, and Mm -hmm. I'll build up a team and take it for a few rides, but I... The days when I paid extremely close attention to the competitive day community are largely over, which is, yeah. makes me kind of sad. I barely started, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of the problem is that I just never really was able to engage with the the 2v2 format. And two I versus th- two? Yeah, because yeah. that's the official format that is the one that oh, really? Nintendo favors. And I think the thing, I, I like it in theory, but they allow legendaries and it has become Mm -hmm. so legendary focused and it's such a pain in the butt to get the right legendaries that you want with the right stats that I'm just like, I don't have time for this. No, I I understand that completely. Yeah. You can, uh, last year they had, they had Raichu. Raichu was one of the, the kind of counter Pokemon that was really solid, but they were also breaking out Grudon and Kyogre, the the ancient versions. And oh, it's geez. like, oh, c- congratulations on getting perfect versions of Groudon and Kyogre. I'm sure you spent <laughs> a lot of time doing that. And I, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to soft reset until I get perfect IVs or, yeah. or try to use the stupid time. There's a way that you can manipulate the time on your DS or your 3DS to be able to get perfect stats, un- unless that never carried over from the DS, but whatever. Anyway, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. I will play it. I will definitely play it, yes. I will play it, and we will see if I end up... I, I think my engagement with it will be contingent on whether there is a Battle Frontier mm-hmm. where I can get lots of cool badges or go to Kanto. <laughs> let's all go back to Kanto I'm betting that's going to be like the secret uh, every time I say that's going to be a thing and I, every time I'm I'm disappointed but you still hope I still hope okay number six was the Mario Superstar Saga remake number five was Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon number four Nadia Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen another remake yes, so far again. so far this this fall has been a lot of remakes and updates and that kind of thing but this is this is a good one this is dragon dogma dark Horizon coming out for the ps4 and xbox one for the first time and i'm pretty excited yeah as someone who missed it the first time around and learned like later on hey this is probably a game you'd probably like yeah i am i am looking forward to it 
Yes, for sure. Uh, Dragon's Dogma, Dark Arisen, of course, we've talked about this in the past, but Dragon's Dogma came out for the Xbox 360 and the PS3 originally. Later on, came out for the P- Later on, they did a updated version called Dark Arisen that added a whole bunch of new content and other things. Later on, came out on the PC, and now it's coming out on the PS4, Xbox One. Uh, I've told the story about how just literally nobody cared about it when I was at a preview event. And it's been pretty remarkable to see its staying power, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I think we also talked about how, you know, just being the lower people in the freelance totem pole, like uh, (laughs) you and I went to go see separate games that, you know, ended up being huge. Like I saw The Witcher, the first Mm -hmm. one, you went to go see the original Dragon Dogma. So it's just interesting how things like that work out. I don't think Dragon's Dogma exactly lives up to the the Switch or to the Switch, to The Witcher which is by probably the biggest RPG thing going right now. Yes, and it is the game that is influencing all these games we're talking about pretty much. The Witcher is, I would say The Witcher and Fallout are in the same kind of stratosphere. And people will go, well, the Fallout isn't nearly as good as The Witcher. It's not about quality. It's just fandom. It's following. Yes. You, the number of people who care about Skyrim and Fallout is just... Amazing. It's astronomical. Yes, and The Witcher 3 is much the same. So I, I'm really looking forward to their new RPG, by the way, the the one that's going to be kind of a cyberpunk. Yeah, that should be interesting as well, although I still need to play uh, Witcher 3 first. Yeah, you should do that. This should I be really your homework. Oh, my God, should we do the Witcher 3 report? I'd, I'd be down for that. Maybe it's time Obviously. that I start a new game and do the Witcher 3 report, and then we can kind of compare notes. Unfortunately, we're going to be a little busy with the fall. I mean, it would have been better to do this during the summer, but so it goes. Uh, But let us know if you're interested in hearing a Witcher 3 report in the comments. But as for Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, um, obviously this one has been out for a while. But if you like giant monsters and uh, being able to build a party with randomly generated but interesting characters, uh, it's kind of neat. Yeah, I'm going to be playing it, definitely. (laughs) Giving it a try. All right, that's number four. Number three, Nadia, are you ready? Mm-hmm. South Park, the <laughs> fractured but whole. Can I just say, I didn't get the joke behind the name until one day I was just standing in the middle of a, a bulk store, and it hit me, and I nearly had a breakdown in the middle of the store. <laughs> I I don't get it. The fractured butthole. Oh, I get it now. Yep, yep, there you go. It's just yeah. like a... It's just like it took me long, forever to get the South Park bigger, longer, and un- uncut. uncut. <laughs> I was like, I don't get it. I mean, it is bigger and longer and also uncut. Oh. oh. <laughs> I get it. Apparently, they actually wanted to call it like the eternal butthole or something like that. But they were informed <laughs> that it would not be allowed to be on the retailer shelves. And so they went with the fractured butthole. Oh, what the hell? How does that even work? Yeah. But mm. South Park, it's not being made by Obsidian this time, because, which is good because it almost bankrupted Obsidian the last time. It was darkest of days for them, but it is being made by Ubisoft. It looks uh, pretty much the same, except it has a new story, I suppose. Yeah. Um, uh, lots of people ended up liking the previous one, despite the fact that it was kind of short. Uh, did you play the previous uh, South Park, Nadia? No, I heard it was good, and I always had a kind of interest in it, but I never, I never got around to it. 
I think the main thing is it's South Park, but it's interactive. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. cool, I suppose. Um, the graphics are really good. Graphics are fantastic. Like I know South Park is, isn't exactly like Disney great animation or anything, but for what it is, the game adapts it really well. I'm not a huge South Park fan anymore. Yeah, that's also the thing as well. Uh, but to the game's credit, and this is something we've talked about in the past, is that it's not a political thing so much as it's, hey, it's just the kids playing around being idiots. And when South Park does that in the show, it's fantastic. It, that's when it's at its best. It can be. It, it can be fun when they let the kids be kids and they're goofing around with some kind of pop culture thing. But yeah. when they're being global warming denialists or yeah. they are just kind of throwing up their hands in a very Gen X way, frankly, and going, well, why do you care? They're all yeah. stink. Meh. And I'm like, you're two extremely rich white dudes. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you even know about anything? Okay. You can afford not to care. I watched a lot of South Park back in the day. I oh, watched... Too. I watched the first like 11 or 12 seasons just straight through. Uh, I I am of the opinion that they really peaked with the movie. I I think Mm -hmm. the movie is still a phenomenal musical. (laughs) The movie's still fantastic. But at a certain point, I just kind of grew tired of their humor. And everything that I saw about what they were doing about the 2016 elections just made me roll my eyes really freaking hard. People are going, oh, South Park, they haven't lost their fastball. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> if, if you're still into that, cool. I don't know. Maybe maybe I outgrew it or something. I don't know. But as for the video game, I mean, I think it's cool, I suppose, that you are playing as a new kid and you're goofing around and it's kind of taking aim at superheroes. That's fun. That's about it. But it's really one of those games where if I have a chance and if it's someone gives it to me, sure. But given how busy this season is, I don't know if I'm going to have that chance. Well, you're going to be revealing it, so. What? <laughs> Listeners, this is news to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who actually has it on the review tracker. It's probably going to be Mike or something. But you, you actually like South Park, so you should be able to enjoy it. Yeah, like I said, I like South Park when it's like the Casa Bonita episode where, where Cartman like thinks convinces Butters there's a zombie apocalypse so he can take his, his place at a birthday party at a stupid like cheap joint that's like Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's fantastic. If the game is like that, like humor like that, sure, I might enjoy it. Didn't he throw him in a hole at some point? He so that basically locked him in a hole somewhere and tried and convinced him that like, oh, I'm being eaten by zombies. Stay down there where it's safe. And all because he wanted to go to Casa Bonita, which is like just some cheap ass taco joint that like has like, you know, cheap shows or something it's such a kid thing it was fantastic i always feel bad for butters because they just really they take this cute optimistic like happy kid and just do the worst things to him (laughs) (laughs) don't get me wrong there are a lot of really phenomenal south park episodes and also really a lot of really bad ones like yeah, I'm not even going to get into it, but there are a lot of bad ones. Their video game ones tend to be on point. Yeah, they, they're really fantastic with their video game culture and their anime culture. And that's one thing I've always admired about it, because they were ahead of the curve on that one. The Okama GameSphere ones, for example. God, that's like so old now. But yeah. when the GameCube came out in 2001, yeah. <laughs> and then the sentient towel shows up because they were smoking a lot of pot, I guess. <laughs> like you do. Yes, exactly. Uh, the golden PSP episode. The Wii episode. Which was a political one. The Wii one, the two-part Wii one was, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, that one is just hilarious. Yeah. Because yeah. 
Cartman freaking out in desire for a Wii. And I think that helped sell the system, too. I think Nintendo was very appreciative of that episode. Uh, and, of course, the Guitar Hero episode. But I digress. <laughs> That's a classic. But it is coming out this fall in October. And it will undoubtedly one of the, be one of the bigger games this, that mm-hmm. comes out this fall. Definitely. Because I think even people who aren't huge into RPGs but just like South Park, they're going to pick that up. Indeed. Okay, Nadia. We've got past the, the remakes and the South Parks. Now for the two RPGs that we are maybe the most excited for this fall. All right. Number two is Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which is coming out for the Nintendo Switch. Um, It is the Nintendo Switch game that I am most excited for. People are pretty pumped for Mario Odyssey. I was a little... Mm, you were a little i was a little nonplussed by my experience with mario odyssey at e3 it wasn't that it was cold on it it was just i think that the one level was pretty strong Mm -hmm. the desert level and the other level where you're running around doing fetch quests for pauline in new donk city really left me cold yeah um nintendo sometimes when it comes to picking demo stages they they flub it a little bit we'll see about xenoblade chronicles 2 there was an initial the reaction to the characters in particular was not particularly good like people seemed a little let down by that and i think that the fact that it almost feels a little bit like they're rushing it i suppose this is easily the xenoblade with the the shortest development time and it may just be that they've got everything set, so they just need to come up with a new scenario and everything, and maybe some gameplay enhancements and bang, rather than starting over from scratch. But Yeah, I think so, because it plays very much like the first game, uh, from what I can tell, whereas the second game was a lot different. So they might have just said, hey, well, we already have everything set for the first game, we'll just go back to that formula. So I understand what they're up to. I think the thing that I'm maybe most excited about is the fact that it is on the Nintendo Switch and in HD. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Xenoblade uh, on the Nintendo 3DS was a noble endeavor, but not great. Not great looking, that's for sure. No, and I think more to the point, I've I always found the motion controls on the Wii version kind of distracting. Or at least the nunchuck and con- the controller setup. I-, I would have rather have just played with almost any other setup than that. Yeah, I used the uh, classic controller. Did you not have one? I did. I-, I thought that I thought you couldn't really do that. Like you had to that it was kind of set up with the nunchuck and the regular controller in mind. But no, maybe I, I'm wrong. I, I remember using the classic controller without a problem. I mean, not that it was a great controller. Don't get me wrong, but the classic controller was terrible. And then there was yeah. also the classic controller pro. But I, I digress. But so the main new feature of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is that they're going to have these, so you have these drivers who are the main characters, and then you have blades. Mm-hmm. And I'm still kind of trying to figure out the, the whole blades thing. People have compared them to Pokemon. Yeah, <laughs> like you do. You kind of catch them all, but they're, they're life forms that come from crystals, and mm-hmm. they also provide a weapon and powers, and yeah, are also companions. Yes, and every character in the game has their own has their own weapon and or have their own blades, I suppose. And the one that has been shown, one of them that has been shown, I believe her name is Pyra, and she looks like kind of your stock anime girl. Yeah, of course. 
Yes. Well, there's a, there was there was a stock anime girl in in the first game too, and that was uh, Fiora. Xenoblade Chronicles gets a lot of love. Why do you think that is? Uh, my guess is that uh, at least the reasons I love it, and the reasons why I hear other people love it, is number one, the setting's really unique, and I'm glad they're going back to that kind of really fantasy sci-fi setting rather than just straight sci-fi. The characters, even though they look goofy and they say goofy things and they have goofy names, are really lovable. Um, yes, yeah, some of them do like look like stock anime characters, but I really enjoyed my time with them. I mean, like, Shulk is a dumb goof, but he, he gets the job done. Fiora, well, she kind of goes off stage for a long time anyway. Dunban's a badass. Ryan is Ryan. Um, I think there was the girl Charlotte, Char, Char something. She was pretty cool. She had, like, a, a big-ass gun and that could heal people. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the sniper lady. The sniper lady, yeah. Yeah, she so, was all right. But she was mostly a healer, though, which was weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It was a weird game. It was weird but fun and compelling. Yeah, I suppose. I the cast did the cast in the story did almost nothing for me in that game. Really? You didn't even like Dunban, but he's a badass. I mean Dunban, Dunban is the one who's big, right? No, that's Ryan. Ryan. Okay, which one's Dunban? Oh, he was the, the warrior the original warrior. Yeah, the original The one who was Monado. using the the Monado. Yeah. And he kinda paid for it. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I suppose that was cool. I liked the the mech enemies; they were neat, mm-hmm. and the the two statues. But I think the reason that it stands out to me to this day is the soundtrack. It has a fantastic soundtrack. The oh, soundtrack God. was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found the concept of them living on these two giant frozen gods kind of interesting. Cool. Yeah, uh, it it reminded me actually of the the two worlds in Final Fantasy thirteen actually, mm-hmm. where you had if if you'll recall you had there were the two warring gods and then the main characters got marked and had to kill the god from the other side from the other world but two of the characters who were with them were from that other world and it's a little easier to follow in xenoblade (laughs) just a little bit because the the mechs came from the other side they came from the other god or whatever the mechanis so that was kind of interesting it was gorgeous for a wii game game, huge sweeping vistas that will look Mm -hmm. amazing in hd right yes and i i think most of all i really liked the strategy when it came to using the monado the monado wasn't just this all-powerful thing Mm -hmm. it was a thing that you had to use uh, you had to you had to strongly consider your party composition and those are my favorite kinds of rpgs where you have to really put a lot of thought into how you're going to go approach an encounter because if you just go in with guns blazing you're going to die because monado is going to do like one hit point yeah monado is no good against organic enemies only against mechanic enemies yes exactly so and so there were a lot of good party composition opportunities in Xenoblade Chronicles. And I'm really hoping that that continues to be the case in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I'm hoping so. I'm glad that they've kind of left the concepts of X behind. It was an interesting experiment, but mm-hmm. it was almost like a proto Breath of the Wild, and I don't think it, really it worked that well. Yeah, you could tell like um, they had some really admirable ideas, and I don't know how many were taken for Breath of the Wild. Probably more than we think, but um, it worked out a lot better for Zelda than it did for Xenoblade. Yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles Two or Xenoblade Chronicles X 
just goes to highlight how hard it is to make a game like Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as people think. And people say, oh, Breath of the Wild is so boring. I think they're on crack. Yeah, just a little <laughs> I bit. I played a lot of boring open world games and Zelda is not one of them. Uh, it it goes to really highlight the magnificent design of Breath of the Wild. But mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that they're going back to basics with Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And I think that it'll just be, it, I think it'll really shine on the Switch. So. Yeah, I think so. And even if they kind of uh, kind of whiff on the story, maybe uh, this time around, the the gameplay will and the graphics and mm-hmm. the sweeping vistas and the soundtrack will ultimately carry it. I think so. All right, last one. And this is number one, <laughs> and you told me that you do not care, but nope. I think that it is one of the most intriguing RPGs of the fall, and that is Divinity Original Sin Two. Did you play the original Divinity Original Sin, Nadia? No, and that's probably my problem. It is your problem, Nadia, because Divinity <laughs> Original Sin is an excellent RPG. It I is really a should. turn-based overhead RPG that is co-op. And one of the cooler things that you can do in that game was you can combine elements. You could electrify water. You could do all kinds of different things. And you could set oil on fire, etc. And that was the key to a lot of the strategy. And plus you, even if you were playing solo, you always had a companion character with you who would who'd be wisecracking and that kind of thing. It, it was fun. <laughs> it came out on the Xbox One and PS4, uh, if not last year, then the year before, not too long ago. So it is readily available. Divinity Original Sin 2 dramatically increases the character customization options. And the story and dialogue options change accordingly. So also there is a huge uh, DM kind of mode where you can basically put together your own RPG campaigns, which is something that might be fun to do uh, for the Blood God. Yeah, that might be. I guess I should uh, give the first game a try, shouldn't I? Yeah, we were talking about potentially doing a co-op run in Divinity Original Sin, but I think it'd be fun to potentially do one for divinity original sin 2 when it comes out in a few weeks mm-hmm. uh so i don't know divinity original sin witcher 3 i'd be curious to know like what people would be more interested in us talking about at some length okay nadia i i feel like i don't have to know but what is the rpg that you are most excited about this fall Probably Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Uh, if not that, then the Mario uh, Bowser's Minions. Oh, really? You are the most excited for Mario biz- uh, Mario's Minions, Bowser's Minions. <laughs> if not Xenoblade Chronicles 2, then yes, uh, that would be my second choice. Because um, I think I've gained more of an appreciation for the Mario and Luigi games since playing the later ones. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the new features and the Bowser's Minions uh, ver- uh, being inside the game, I think that'll uh, keep me entertained for a while. I think I'm going to give the edge to Divinity Original Sin 2 because it. I have just a huge amount of respect for the first game. And there are some just high-powered people who are associated with this. Uh, Chris Avalone, who had worked um, with Black Isle back in the day and various other RPG developers. He's a phenomenal RPG like scenario writer. And the fact that he's associated with this project just tells me that it's going to be really, really good. And it's on PC, it's on console this time. It's going to be great. And they've been working on it for quite a while. And I think it's just really cool that you can be co-op. Sorry? 
Can you just like dive right into it? Like, do you have to play the first game? No, I, I, you can just dive right into it. You're, you're so creating a new character. That. Yeah, I, I think that's the correct approach. Um, yeah. Number two, probably, believe it or not, despite the fact that I was being exper- expressing a lot of reservations about it, Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. It's really a safe bet. I think we both know it's going to be, we, we know what to expect from it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. What do you think of this fall in general in terms of RPGs? Uh, nothing that's going to blow my socks off, but I'm definitely, there's going to be more than enough to keep me busy. Yeah, I feel like the the biggest RPG of the year has already come out. Uh, the two biggest RPGs of the year have already come out in Nier Automata and Persona 5. And it's a shame that Mass Effect Andromeda ended up being such a disappointment. Uh, I would say that's going to be the most disappointing game of the year, though I'm sure yeah. that it's going to have its defenders from now on. But Yeah, certainly. Although Nier is a game I really mean to get to. Um, I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, I, I think we both have to get to that one. Oh, that could be another option there, too, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think we both really enjoy Nier, from what I've heard. Nier Automata, Divinity Original Sin 2, or Witcher 3. Uh, which one do you want us to talk about, folks? <laughs> Knowing <laughs> our audience, they're going to say Nier Automata 2. Almost certainly. Or Nier Automata 2. Man, I would play that game. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, God willing. Yeah, I think we should dive into Nier Automata. Yeah. I think so. I, I had no idea you hadn't played it either, to be honest with you. I had not, but it's on my it's on my PS4, but I have been... It, it's only just now that I finally circled around back to Breath of the Wild. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, the sports games are starting to come out, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because those are going to take up more of my time, but I'm explicitly taking a break from uh, my Madden League this year so that I can focus on other games. Oh, there you go. Yes, so... I mean, it's only maybe one uh, one or two hours a week, but that time adds up, especially oh, times, <laughs> especially time spent um, worrying about things. Because what will happen is I will finish the night, I will work, uh, I will play some games for work, and then I'll be like, okay, well, I have, I need an hour to finish up this Madden game, and the next thing I know, it's time for dinner, and then I'm mm-hmm. hanging out with my partner, and then I'm going to bed. So. Yep. Pretty much. Madden is a giant time sink, so I am taking a break and then spending some more time with proper RPGs. Quality time. Yes. In any case, that's our fall preview, so do me a favor. Let us know what RPGs you are most excited for in the comments for this episode, or drop me a line on Twitter at the underscore catbot, or send an email to usgamer at usgamer.net. All right, we're going to move on to the reactions to our team building exercise from last week. So don't go away. Okay, Nadia, last week we had a lot of fun building our ideal RPG teams. Um, as if you if you did not listen to that episode, listen to it. I'm not going to recap my team right here. You should go listen to it. It was a really fun segment and lots of you really seemed to kind of you know take to this to this exercise and had lots of ideas of your own okay here's one all right this one is from Ilya Moromets and they have their leader is Velvet Crow from Tales of Berseria their tank is Titanium from Fire Emblem Path of Radiant Radiant Dawn. Uh, their mage is Sia from Zelda Hyrule Warriors. Can't do that. Hyrule Warriors is not an RPG disqualified. But I liked the rest of their team enough that I wanted to continue. Their knight is Nier Gestalt from Nier Gestalt. And their cleric is the Bard from League of Legends. Uh, League of Legends is a little iffy as well, but 
But we'll allow it. As far as group dynamics go, Velvet and Sia would maybe hit it off, considering both of them are driven to what they want to get to, no matter the cost and number of dead bodies they leave behind. They're both extremely powerful in what they do, as Velvet is literally invincible as long as she is in a state called Therian, despite it draining her health. And uh, this individual also mentions that, speaking of, Nier is dangerous, as we all know. He can relate to Velvet easily, though his methodology is questionable and leaves just as many dead people in the wake. Finally, Bard is Bard. Yes, Bard is Bard. A wandering <laughs> cosmic caretaker that only speaks in ethereal horns and flutes. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Bard is Bard. That's my new band. Bard is Bard? Yeah, Bard is Bard. It's like I like it. Uh, Rider Kicker says, I have been watching people play Undertale, and I guess I'll buy it soon. Why did I think there would be a physical edition on sale at a store? Must have confused it with Axiom Verge or Stardew Valley or something. Anyway, Rider Kicker says that their dream RPG team is hard hitter would be ya boy Kanji because folding <laughs> chairs are a cooler weapon than hammers. Yes, that's true. Healer would be Dr. Amy Sage from Fantasy Star 2. Always need a healer doctor on staff. <laughs> Leader would be Mitsuru from P Persona 3. She is the mastermind. Uh, Mitsuru was the head of the, the president of the student council in Persona 3, not yet. Oh, well, she's very, very important then. The tight end would be Makoto, because apparently this is an NFL team now. And the mage <laughs> would be Vivi, a cute kid with a lot of potential. Yes. Uh, Talrain made their leader the avatar from Ultima, That's because he or she is literally the embodiment of virtue and can use any weapon, heavy armor, and all magic. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of them too, so not OP at all, right? <laughs> I liked that one, but uh, they went and went all Final Fantasy for the rest of their team. Redia, Saban, Gladio, and Vanille. So, though a Final Fantasy 13 character is an interesting choice. Yeah, congratulations there. Congratulations. You, you, have, all, you, you have Vanille on your team. <laughs> so... <laughs> You acknowledged her. Uh, the challenger only has three characters on their team because I guess they're going with a Final Fantasy VII type setup. Uh, Sephiroth, sure. oh, <laughs> making a villain your hero. Sure, Sephiroth, Celeste, uh, Solas would be my mage since he's secretly an all-powerful wizard. I don't know where Solas is from. Oh, the name is familiar, but I am hmm. blanking. And it's going to drive me crazy all day. And Terra from Final Fantasy VI. That's a good one. Terra is an interesting choice because she's a powerful mage. She can use all... She's basically a mystic uh, knight, if I'm not mistaken. She can use pretty much any weapon, any armor. She can use magic, both inborn and, like, you know, espers. And she can turn into, like, that crazy Barbie doll thing. Yes, the crazy Barbie doll thing. <laughs> that's what she was. Well, that's her esper form. Yeah, she's powerful in that form, too. Like, her, she doubles her... Uh, magic and her her physical power if i'm not mistaken so yeah she could be a tank her only problem is her crippling self-doubt yes well i mean isn't that a problem for all rpg protagonists well maybe not maybe not the guy from witcher Geralt. no he has a shit together yeah he has a shit together mike master says that their party is mcdole from suikoden one and two strong decisive high stats all around plus he's unshakable and he can eat souls that's a good point their cleric is Ness from Earthbound. Not only is he a power hitter, but he comes with the healing spells. Probably cheating, but don't care. Mage is <laughs> Jessica from Dragon Quest. That girl slings spells like nobody's business. Plus, she's not a damsel in distress. She is refreshing for women characters on JRPGs. The tank is Gatri from Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. 
I've spent too much of the game just letting Gatry take out everybody who gets close to him. He even has a better strong, better magic resistance than most traditional tanks. He's a great choice. And their thief is Locke from Final Fantasy VI, mostly just because I love him because he was the first character in an RPG that I found tragic. It's also pretty tough for a thief character, far less brittle than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this one because this is more Western-focused, uh, but uh, Lambis has their fighter is Min- Minsk, from Baldur's Gate 2, great warrior, especially with the silver sword. Their thief is Victor from Suikoden 1 and 2. Kept him in my That's party fine. through two games. Vampire hunting storyline in 2 was really well written. I liked that one. That was good. And I teared up when he served as a rear guard, allowing the hero to escape in 1. Runner-up, Boone from Fallout New Vegas. Boone, of course, will kill all of the, the Caesar's Legion characters in Fallout New Vegas. So you just got to watch out for that. Just don't have anybody from the Legion... Any No Legion characters on your team. <laughs> no Legion allowed. He might just put a bullet through their head. Uh, their cleric is Yukiko from Persona 4, with the runner-up being Viconia from Baldur's Gate 2, and their mage is Edwin Odessarian from Baldur's Gate 2. D&D's magic system is unique in that disrupting magic spells by causing low amounts of damage to enemy mages is also more important than hitting enemies for a lot of damage. Edwin's entire level one spellbook was 100% magic missiles, and their disruptive ability saved my party on many occasions. And Nadia, this one's for you. The runner-up is Angela from Seiken Densetsu 3. Nice. Yeah, that's a good choice. She's uh, she's pretty ass-kicking, although I'd go with Kevin because he can turn into a werewolf. And the last one is, uh, I like this one, Lord Mob Dree gets points for creativity their leader is Welkin from Valkyria Chronicles. All those orders he gets would be a big benefit to the t- party. He also didn't mention that Welkin drives a freaking tank. He's he literally in a tank. tank. <laughs> Welkin's a really interesting choice because he um, he's not a silent protagonist. He's He basically has to prove himself, and he does, to his, his veteran compatriots. And he's a very admirable character. He's He gets the job done, but he's kind of gentle at the same time. He's, he's a character I like very much. And did I mention he drives a tank? He, he does drive a tank, yeah. That's not a small thing. The only way to take it out is if you shoot the back with a rocket, which is actually kind of annoying because you'll be wading right into the middle of it and inevitably some some enemy character will totally shoot him in the back and you'll lose a mission. But yeah. it's so satisfying to just be driving along and have tons of bullets bouncing off his tank and everything. So <laughs> Beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. And plus his attacks are so strong. If you can... Yeah. If you can shoot the grenade, you can take out a lot of ca- enemies who are all bunched mm-hmm. up and such. But their cleric is Carly from Seiken Densetsu 3 as a sage. She gets multi-target healing and status curing, can enchant the whole party's weapons to hit different elements or to drain HP MP and cast a good holy spell. Dr. Dragoon is Raquel from Wild Arms 4. She's slow, but she can take a hit and destroys everything when she gets a turn. Their black mage is blue from Saga Frontier. He can get eight actions every turn, can cast any spell that matters, can raise or re-raise the party if necessary, and is even good with a gun when magic can't be used. And their tank is snow because steel guard. And I think that's my favorite one so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good, good party, lineup. Nadia, because that is a good, lineup. good, good, nice and creative, good mixture. Uh, well thought out party dynamics and i love welkin and so yeah, op Welkin's fantastic that's that's totally unfair nadia <laughs> all's fair in love and tanks indeed all right last one uh we got a fairly long letter from thomas kluwer and they say 
Uh, he says, last week you discussed Final Fantasy II, Undertale, and the Darker Pass and certain Bioware RPGs, and a through line came to me. Uh, to this day, Final Fantasy II is famous mostly for the team-finding exploit. Now, I can't fault anyone who doesn't want to spend their time grinding through any era RPGs. However, to ignore the creative and historical significance of a franchise RPG that dared to shed the rigid class system and suggest that characters should improve talents they actually use I th- is, I think, short-sighted. When I think about developing the sequel to the original Final Fantasy, it boggles my mind the brass balls it must have come mm-hmm. taken to come up with Final Fantasy two. And that is that is an interesting uh that is interesting. I, I think the main thing was that when Final Fantasy two came out, it was still what, the late eighties or yeah. thereabouts? And RPGs on consoles were still a relatively new concept and it really just feels to me like they were throwing things at the wall. Yeah, which is fine. Growing pains happen. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Regarding Dark Paths, I remember trying a few on secondary runs of Bioware RPGs for the original Xbox. I adored the settings, the party members, the stories, and systems. I was desperate to keep engaging with them, even if I had to break a few eggs along the way. But in Undertale, there are no conflicted or evil party members to side with. You see the whole story in one playthrough, including the pacifist addendum, and the systems are downgraded se- severely from tedious but novel to imperm- interminable, unrelenting cruelty. That weren't enough. The game itself literally begs you not to play anymore. Even speaking for myself as a type of overly devoted fan who plays his favorite games multiple times through, willing to comprise compromise on morality just to see it all, I really don't get the appeal of the genocide run. Yet, it seems to be one of Undertale's most famous features. To throw in one more example, after around 150 very leisurely hours, I finished Breath of the Wild with just over 200 Korok seeds, enough to unlock almost every available item slot far more space than I would ever fill, yet 900 are said to exist in the game. To me, the intent of the design is plain. The character sh- player should naturally find more than enough seeds while doing the other quests, even if it doesn't, aren't, they aren't looking very hard. If that weren't sufficiently clear, the reward for getting every seed is literally a golden turd. My friend <laughs> borrowed the game after me and fully finished it without ever meeting the big Korok who takes him, yet plenty of players devote themselves to hunting down every last Korok. That's my partner, by the way. Oh, she cool. has decided that breath she does not care about beating the divine beast she does not care about beating ganon literally the only thing she wants to do is find every korok and she knows what the reward is i I assume yeah i don't think she cares i think she's just (laughs) doing this as an ocd kind of thing yeah okay that's fair as uh for me i have literally never met the giant korok who takes the seeds really but uh, you kind of run into him on the road like early in the game and he goes to the the forest after that but maybe i did uh, okay, maybe I vaguely recall running into this person, but I don't know where they are. She shakes the maracas. Okay, but I don't remember where they are, and I don't, and I haven't really deliberately sought them out. I have maybe I've found maybe a total of eight Korok seeds so far. Wow, I'm I'm impressed. I honestly am. I just I'm just I don't care. I don't, I'm just not going out of my way. Oh, but I I didn't either. I just kind of found them as a matter of course. I mean, I guess, but even when I found them, I didn't want to go through the trouble of trying to necessarily fly through the thing. Okay, fair enough. Because I just was like, oh, well, I'm not looking for these, and it's kind of a pain in the butt to get through here in time, so whatever. Right. Sometimes I just find them anyway, like they're just there, yeah. and I go, oh, okay, well, welcome, welcome, I guess, but. Yay, seeds. Uh, they finish, like cat, I spent hundreds, I spent hours hatching eggs, plus farming for a Zapdos with a good hidden powder of water. Oh, man, oh, God, good luck with that. <laughs> Also, I think you want Hidden Power Ice, not Hidden Power Water. But unlike Cat, I knew full well that I would never, ever battle anyone with a team I'd so carefully theorycrafted on the internet. 
I dodged the lightning on the Thunder Plains for an item I didn't need. I farmed the Shrine of Storms until I finally got that pure Bladestone. At least I got a dumb trophy for that one. I even maneuvered Geralt to sleep with strange women until it was so filled with omnidirectional disgust that I swore off that series for good. And so the question, do you or the other listeners have any stories about playing RPGs the wrong way? Not just wasting time on an arguably pointless task, like some of my examples, but something that really defied the intent of the game's designs or even your own good sense of fun. Okay. So Nadia, I had a story in that regard, actually. Um. It was not me, but back in the day, back uh, I was in college, um, I decided to finally finish Final Fantasy IX, and I did it. I did almost everything. I did everything except get the Excalibur II, uh, the, the, the really good sword that you have to actually restart the game to get by right. doing various things. That was the only thing I didn't do. But for some reason, after I finished, I was like, okay, well, I beat Ozma. I've got every card in the game. I'm good. My partner goes... I'm going to level up every one of your characters to level 99. And I'm like, why? And she's like, eh, OCD, <laughs> why, not? why not? And I was like, okay, if you want. And so she sat there for hours. Wow. At one point, I actually found her asleep playing it. Aww. And she just, she got all of my characters into the 90s, just killing those dragons sitting on the ledge near wow. a cave. I mean... <laughs> You know, the when you climb up the, the ladder and you come out onto the ledge and yeah. you can accidentally run into uh, dragons with super powerful attacks and then only later can you come back and kill them for a lot of XP? Mm-hmm. She was doing that. She was killing all of those. Well, everyone's got to have a hobby. She was farming them unto death. And she's the same person who is going after all the Korok seeds. That is what she finds enjoyment for in games. I don't understand I say this even as somebody who once sat, literally sat on a subway, riding back and like pressing left and right, back and forth on my DS, hatching eggs in Pokemon, which (laughs) made me want to kill myself. (laughs) But she takes it to another level. So I respect that is, I mean, it's not playing it the wrong way, but it sure was different. Nadia, what's your story? Uh, probably, see, okay, when I first started playing Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, I was still very new to RPGs in general, and I had this very strict rule where I would have to equip the most powerful weapon and the most powerful, most offensive armor, regardless of any other stat boost, regardless of any anything like that. Basically, I would, base, I would rely on the optimization feature, and that was that. So, when I got to, like, the let's say, the, the floating continent where you have enemies that are undead and uh, you have, of course, the Atma weapon, which can use Quake. Um, the the smart thing to do would go to Themazda and buy the Gaia gear, which can uh, deflect undead attacks and it can uh, absorb Quake. But I didn't do that. Even though I knew I could do that, I didn't do that. I Because the defense, the core defense was just slightly lower with the Gaia gear than it was with, I think, the gold armor was what I bought. So I, I made an ass of myself, and I, I just, I just like, gave myself all this pain because I had to do things this way. It was dumb. It was, it was incredibly dumb. I don't do that sort of thing anymore. I, I realize now that I was bound by some weird demon, but I, I've purged that demon. So you were bound by some weird demon. Yes. <laughs> Stupidity. The demon of stupidity. 
I've done some other things. Um, in Final Fantasy VIII, I broke that game so hard, but I could <laughs> get to the point in Final Fantasy VIII where I could kill the bosses, the boss at the end of disc one in one hit. Nice. Because I was doing well over, I was probably doing about 2,000 damage just mm, by yeah. uh, abusing junctions and stuff. Yeah. Which was oddly satisfying despite the degree to which I broke the game. <laughs> By the end of the game, I would be so strong that some of the bosses actually would not be able to do any damage to me, really. So I would just sit there and farm really powerful spells off them. That's amazing. I actually got annoyed because I would I would get uh, Gilgamesh. And the way you get Gilgamesh, so let's see, uh, there's Odin, and Odin becomes Gilgamesh. So okay. you get Odin, and Odin will periodically appear and kill an enemy. Mm-hmm. just ride through and slash and right. there's a point when you're fighting cipher if you have odin or cipher i suppose if you're fighting cipher odin shows up and tries to attack him but cipher slices him in half cool which is rad but then odin comes back as gilgamesh and finishes off cipher uh-huh. which annoyed me to no end because i would be farming <laughs> auras off him right. that is the best way to get auras I uh, so I would go out of my way to leave to not get Gil to not get Odin by that point, so I could make sure that Cipher would stay alive, so that I could farm auras off him. <laughs> nice. And Good finally, job, in Fallout New Vegas, I don't know if you've ever played Fallout New Vegas, uh, Nadia, but one of the things I've always wanted to try. One of the things I like about Fallout New Vegas is that there are these factions, mm-hmm. and. If you piss off a faction, you can go down to mixed rather than just having them outright hate you. And so what I always wanted to do was try and get in deep enough with Caesar's Legion to the point where you would get to the point in the game where Caesar's on the operating table because he has he needs to have surgery. And I wanted him to die on the operating table and then defect over to the new California Republic and have him be dead. Maybe somebody has... I, I always just, whenever I play one of those games, one of those Bethesda or Obsidian type RPGs where you have a lot of different options, I'm always trying to find loopholes. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to find a way to kind of play my own way and kind of role play to the extreme. And it right. frustrates me no end when I run into a barrier where it just says, nope, now you got to kill him. <laughs> you have no other option. There's no way to play both ends against the middle. There's no way. Because I'm always playing these games going, ah, I don't want to make anybody mad. Yeah. <laughs> I want everyone to love me. I want everybody to be friends with me. <laughs> but there's a certain point where you have to change. But in, uh, in Follow New Vegas, I mean, you don't have to necessarily choose. And in fact, we're running a uh, an interview next week here on Acts of the Blood God with the designer of Follow New Vegas. Um, oh, sweet. And he said at one point that... The way that he saw most people playing was uh, initially you'd start out with the New California Republic, and then you go, oh, the New California Republic, I don't know, like, these guys aren't so great. And then you would go over to Mr. House, and you'd go, oh, Mr. House, he wants me to kill the Brotherhood of Steel. Like, that's 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 a hard no for me. I'm not going to nuke the Brotherhood of Steel. <laughs> and then you go, oh, these guys all kind of suck. I'm not going to work for Caesar's Legion. Yeah. Guess it's me being independent, and yeah. then you go independent. I think that's kind of cool. 
yeah that is pretty cool the fact that you can kind of change your mind at various points in the game and i think that's why fallout new vegas has really resonated with people over the years Mm -hmm. in any case thanks for the people who wrote in to me and thanks for all the really nice comments on the previous episode i really enjoyed it and of course feel free to keep sending in your customized teams i i want to know what your perfect rpg team is um, hey, maybe we'll even run a contest and we'll like pick the one that's our absolute favorite and we'll send something um, at some point. I don't know. but I have uh, a sweater in my closet. Just here you go. <laughs> Enjoy. You can have one of Nadia's sweaters. Uh, but yeah, just keep sending your RPG teams in. We might do this again. We mm-hmm. might, uh, since this seems to have gone over really well, we might like come up with different themes or different battle systems uh, rather than just a kind of a generic five person maybe we'll pick a we'll build teams uh the ultimate team for different games <laughs> the <Yeah>. pokemon <laughs> the oh pokemon God. system or something like that but with team life. pets from other games that'd be fun okay that'd be fun yeah i can do that yes but uh until then acts of blog out is the us gamer podcast you can find us on itunes stitcher or wherever podcasts are sold many ways to connect to us you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia at nadia oxford and of course check us out on all the social media channels twitter facebook and twitch us gamer net we stream every tuesday and thursday at 10 a.m pacific 1 p.m eastern lady lately katie and mike have been doing PUBG thursday they've been playing player known battlegrounds and we also show new games that are coming out just okay come on come hang out with the u.s gamer team every tuesday and thursday at 10 a.m also we have another podcast now it's called the u.s gamer podcast and you should subscribe to it on itunes and wherever else uh, i'm going to be adding it uh, for now you can go out and get the rss feed at usgamernet.libsyn.com but yes i will be adding it to other places as well also you can find us on soundcloud at usgamernet that is totally a thing the last episode of the us gamer podcast we talked about crunch nadia yes we did and i wrote about following that discussion and things to say about crunch <laughs> yes they do we also talked about the snes classic kind of pre-order debacle mm-hmm. yes we did <laughs> yes we did yeah we, we covered a lot of things assassin's creed origins and god uh uncharted lost legacy uh, impressions uh it, it's a fun kind of chill podcast with a different energy because we have yeah, four different have people Mike on it who has the smooth jazz voice yes mike smooth jazz with mike williams but as always, that podcast is every Wednesday, and Axel Blood God is every Friday. And we will be back next week, as usual. Same Blood God time, same Blood God location. Until then, I've been Cap Alien for Naughty and myself. We'll be back again. Until then, happy adventuring. <laughs>